Yes. Yes. There's no name like the name of Jesus. Amen. Because he rose. Amen. Yes. Because he's seated in glory. Because he is the king of kings. Yes, he is. And he reigns and he rules. Yes. You know, people, there's people that have powerful names. You know, I thought about a powerful name, you know, Alexander. It sounds so, you know, just real, you know, like majestic, you know. Alexander. But Alexander don't necessarily mean it's powerful because the person is the one who makes the name powerful. That's right, that's right, that's right. It can sound powerful, but when you say the name of Jesus, you are declaring yes. the name above all names. Yeah. The name that surpasses all. The authority, the reign, the rule of the king. That's why it's such a powerful name. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise? He is worthy. Can we, can we thank our worship team here for taking us a little higher? Amen. Praise the Lord. Leading us, leading us into the exaltation of Jesus. At this time, our core kids are dismissed. So that's yeah. children from six months all the way to sixth grade. You're dismissed to your classes as they're going there. Yeah. If you would, in the sanctuary, open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And if you're able to stand, we can stay standing for the reading of the word. The Gospel of Mark chapter 3. Going to read from verse 7. When you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Jerusalem and Endumea and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for, ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And when he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him, then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, J J James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when, he, but when his own people heard about, about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. 
And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. Surely I say to you, all the sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers, his mother came and standing outside, they sent him, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around, around him and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the reminder of your love toward us, of your greatness, of your wonder and your majesty. This morning, Father, we humble ourselves before your word and we pray that you would open our ears that we may hear you clearly, that you would give us hearts that we may respond in faith, that we may be obedient to your word today, Lord God. May you be glorified in these next few moments in the sharing of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you do not have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. Want to make sure that everybody has an outline. That's important for me that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon. Also that you're able to take some notes and there are some introspective questions there that you can answer. Like what do you believe the Lord spoke to you and what are you going to do about it? How are you going to apply that um, in this next week that's coming up? And then also, as always, I remind you that this is a tool that you can use in order to help someone else grow in their faith. And so you're hearing the word of God on Sunday morning and what you can do is you can simply meet with someone and say, hey man, this is what I'm learning in the scriptures and so I want to show you what I'm learning and that'll help them grow in their faith and so that's part of the process of becoming a disciple maker. Um, also, for those of you that are following along in the Bible reading challenge, we are, in, we are in day 260 today and we are in the book of Daniel chapters 2 through 5 and so for those of you that are in that, that's where we are. Uh, for those of you that may not be um, ha- reading the Bible on a consistent basis, this is a great opportunity for you to jump in. We're reading four chapters chapters a day, and by the end of the year, we will have read through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And so in your outline there, the first paragraph, one of the greatest lies, now listen to this for a moment, one of the greatest lies the enemy has managed to get people to believe is that when it comes to the truth, being neutral is a non-response with no consequences. Let me read that again. One of the greatest lies the enemy has managed to get people to believe is that when it comes to the truth, being neutral is a non-response with no consequences. And here's, here's what I want you to understand, is that when you hear the Bible preached, when you hear someone talk about your need for Jesus, when you hear someone communicate a truth that you and I are supposed to obey, when we hear that, we have an opportunity to respond to that. We can either say, yes, I'm for it, or no, I'm against it. One of those two can happen. We can decide 
override that when someone talks to you about, you know, something that you need to obey. But here's what some people will try to do, especially in our culture, that we try to be, you know, um, politically correct, is we'll try to remain neutral. You know, you're in a conversation, and you're going to remain neutral. You're not going to take a position on something. But I need you to understand that by default, you're taking a position. By default, you are saying, no, I don't stand for that truth. By default, you're rejecting the truth that God calls us to respond to. But this is what the enemy wants you to believe. If you remain neutral, you're okay. If everyone is okay with you, then, you know, don't worry about it. If nobody has problems with you because of what you believe or what you stand for, then that's a good place to be. I want you to know that Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. I'm just saying. And so what we need to realize is that our decisions have consequences. And our indecision is a decision by default because we're saying no to God. When, when I pray, and I, and I pray this way every Sunday that I pray before I, before I begin to preach, and it is that God would give us ears to hear what he's saying, but not just ears to hear, but hearts to obey. That we will have the faith to respond because it is pointless, it is futile for you and I to sit down and hear God's word and not walk away from it in obedience, right? Because then we, what, are we, what are we doing? We're deceiving ourselves is what James says, and we just went through that, so I won't re-preach it. But here's the thing, that we, that we cannot, second part of that paragraph there, or that first line, we cannot believe this lie and must reject passivity when it comes to our response to truth. We have to reject that lie. We have to reject it, and we cannot be passive. We have to be those who are taking an offensive position, and we are walking out the truths that we're hearing from God. And so in this portion of Mark, second paragraph there, in this portion of Mark, Jesus, up to this point, he's been ministering powerfully, testifying to the kingdom he represents, and now we are presented with different responses to who he is. And so for all this time up to here, Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's been doing all of these things, and now what you're starting to see materialize is, is some different responses to who Jesus is. And so there was a bunch of different people that, that said different things. Some of the people said, remember last week when we were on the internet, for those of you that were able to make it, some people said he was a lawbreaker. Because what? Because his, his disciples went through the fields on the Sabbath day and they were eating the grain and they weren't supposed to do that. And then he healed the guy with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And so they said he's a lawbreaker. And then you have other people that said that he was a miracle worker. That's the reason why the crowds were coming to him, because he was doing all of these miracles. And so they saw him as a miracle worker. And then other people said that he was crazy. Hello, somebody. His family said, look, we're going to go get this guy because he's out of his mind. I mean, this is mom. This is brothers. They were coming to get him and say, look, man, this guy is crazy. He's got all these crowds. You know what? We need to go get him. They thought he was crazy. And then there were other people that they called him Lord. But here's the thing for us is we have to answer the question, what do we say of Jesus? When you are asked the question, what do we say of Jesus? I mean, what do you mean? What, what do you say of Jesus? Is he God the Son? Is he the one who was prophesied about? Is he the one who all of these prophecies in Scripture declare that he is the one who was coming? Is he the one who has the name above all names that we sang today? Or is he just another God? Is he just another prophet? Is he just another teacher? Who is Jesus in your estimation? And the reason why this is so important is because depending upon your response, to that question will determine what you are going to do. And so what we're talking about today is knowing and going. And so when we know who Jesus is, we are going to go hard for him. We're going to live from when we really live from. You see, the reason why you and I are sitting here today is because 11 guys decided that they were going to follow the one that they knew who they believed what he said about himself. They were going to follow. 120 people were in an upper room and they were praying until the power of the Holy Spirit came down. Because what? Because they believed in who Jesus was 
was. And so they obeyed what Jesus said. And so when we believe the things that we declare or the things that the Bible says, then we will live a certain way. We'll live for his glory. We will live for his honor. And so we must determine, we must determine who we are. Are we part of the crowd who follow Jesus for his benefits? Are we, one of the, are, are we one of the contentious who follow Jesus with hopes to discredit him? Or are we committed disciples who knew who Jesus was and did his will? Three groups of people that we see if we, if we look at these three categories. We have the crowd, the people that are there always, right? That's, not, that's one part of the group. We have the other people there that they are the contentious ones, the ones that are always trying to discredit. They're always combative. They're always argumentative. They never want to just submit to and hear the truth about Jesus. And then we have the committed. And so the question, I want you to think about this throughout this sermon today. Which one are you? As we walk through and look at them in detail, which one are you? Are you which one do you declare yourself? Which one would you say that you are? And so the big idea that I have for you, and this is so important, is what we really know of Jesus will determine if and how we go for Jesus. What we really know of Jesus will determine if and how we go for Jesus, right? And when I say go, I mean go hard for him. Live for him. Live for his glory. Live for the truth. If you know him, then you are going to go. But if you don't know him, you're not going to go. If you, know, if, if you don't know him, you're going to do what? You're going to sit back. You'll probably just be part of the crowd. You may even become one of the contentious, but you're never going to be one of the committed. And, I, and it's important for us to think about that. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the crowd, the crowd. is only concerned, only concerned with what they get from Jesus. The crowd is only concerned with what they get from Jesus. That is all that they're concerned about. They're solely and completely concerned about what they will get from Jesus. That's all they care about. The crowd here, I'm not going to read the scripture here for time's sake. We already read it together. But verses 7 through 12 tell us a few things here. It says that the crowds came from everywhere. The multitudes came from everywhere. And they came from everywhere because of what? Because of the things that Jesus was doing. The scripture says that he told them to keep a boat for him. And that way they didn't crush him. Do you understand the implication of that? They weren't coming because they were trying to exalt him so much as king or trying to place him on a throne. But what they were doing was they were trying to get as close to him no matter what it cost because they wanted something from him. The crowd is only concerned. If you're a part of the crowd, then, you know, you may come to church. You know, you may give money. You know, I had a conversation with someone a long time ago, and, you know, we're talking about his, you know, the reason why he was in church and things like that. And he said one day someone came up to him. And they gave him a track. For those of you who don't know what tracks are, they're a little piece of paper that have some kind of message, you know, usually a little booklet, maybe a couple of pages. And so he handed the person, he got, somebody handed him a track, and the track had to do with tithing. I don't know why they would give a track for tithing, but anyway, you know, I mean, that sounds very unevangelistic. I mean, anyway, that's like, you know, anyway, I, I, I digress. But all that said, he gets this track about tithing. And he said as he read this track on tithing, he was like, yo, I knew I needed to get to church if I wanted my life to be blessed. I needed I I need to get to church. I wanted my finances blessed. If I wanted my business to be blessed. And I want to tell you something. This was a guy that was probably one of the, the most wealthy people financially that I ever met. But the other areas of his life, not so much. You want to know why? Because he was part of the crowd. He was coming to Jesus because of what Jesus could do for him. And see, here's the thing I want you to understand. There's nothing wrong with coming to Jesus for what he can do for you as long as you move beyond that. Because all of us came to Jesus because of what he could do for us. Whether it was we need a healing in our body, we need a healing in our soul, we were looking for love, whatever it was that was going on, something was happening in our lives. Trust me, there was some kind of circumstance that brought us to him and we came to him because we understood that he was the solution. But there has to be something beyond that. 
There has to be something beyond. And see, what I want you to understand about the crowd is that all of us were part of the crowd at one time. Hello, somebody. And in the sense that we were there, we were just part of the crowd. We might have even come to church as part of the crowd. Some of us were dragged to church. Hello. We were, we were the rebellious part of the crowd. We didn't want to be here. Some of us, like me, we were tricked to come to church. Hello. You know, my mom got wise. You know, at one point, they couldn't, obviously, they weren't dragging me anymore. And then, you know, I, and I was, you know, I was not going to church. And she'd be like, I'd be like, Ma, I need some new sneakers. She'd be like, yeah. I'd be like, yeah. She'd be like, all right, well, you come to church, you get new sneakers. He's like, man. All right, when do you want me to go? I go to Bible study, you know, get my, but, you know, I need a new outfit. Ma, okay, well, come to church. So they tricked me. I was part of the crowd. And so let me say this to you. When we're talking about being part of the crowd, there's two people in the crowd here. One person in the crowd is the seeker, the one who really has sincere questions. And if you're that person, that's okay for you to be there, to be there for a moment, not to stay there forever. Hello. Because what happens is you have real questions. You're not sure about Jesus. And you know what? We want to help you get past and understand who Jesus is. And so that's one type of person that's in the crowd. The problem is not with that person. The problem with the, with the crowd, with, with the person who's in the crowd, is the person who is part of the crowd, and that's who you are as a Christian. You just come to church. You hear sermon after sermon. Listen, you never answer those two questions. Hello, somebody. You know, the two questions in the outline that I always talk about, you know, like, what do you believe God is speaking to you, and how are you going to apply it? What are you going to do about it? You don't answer those questions. You just hear the sermons, and you go ahead, and you're like, okay, well, hey, I heard a sermon, great, whatever. You know, you, you might even give me a pat on the back on the way out. Hello, somebody. I'm just, uh, we're just keeping it real here. You know, you may feel something, like, man, maybe I need to do something. But you never step into that place of moving beyond being part of the crowd. And see, for us as disciples, we need to check ourselves. Am I just part of the crowd? Do, do I just do what I want to do? You know, it, when, when I think about this, I, you know, reading Ezekiel, you know, going through the book of Ezekiel, he has a vision, and, in, and, and part of the vision in the book of Ezekiel, he says that he, he saw the water coming out of under the threshold of the temple. And as the waters were coming out, it says that, you know, he measured a 1,000 cubits, and then he got in the water, and it was like up to his ankles and then he measured another thousand cubits it was like up to his knees he measured another thousand cubits he was up to his waist measured another thousand cubits and he was at a point where he couldn't do anything he had to swim he couldn't walk he couldn't get across there anymore and for some of us you know I thought about this it's kind of like and I like the ocean analogy you know you can go into the ocean and you can stand into your knees you can get in there on your ankles into your knees and you can get wet all over and you're not really doing anything hello you're not really submerged in the ocean. You're still in control. God's not in control. The ocean is not in control of you. You're not out there deep where, hey, man, I'm at somebody's mercy. That's not like that. And so for some of us, what we do as part of the crowd is we hang out in the shallow. Hello, somebody. We, we don't ever enter into that place where we are fully submitted and fully engaged and fully yielded to God's will. And God is calling us out of the crowd into that place of commitment. And so what do we have to do with those that are in the crowd? Well, with those in the crowd, we continue to preach to them because within the crowd, there's some people that will commit to Jesus who will move beyond what Jesus can do for them, and they will move to the place, and they will become disciple makers and join the team. Hello. So we be faithful to preach to the crowd. The second thing, I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, the contentious solely desire to discredit Jesus. The contentious solely desire to discredit Jesus. And so you see there again, we, we, have, this, we have this conversation that takes place. And, and you look at verse 21 here, and it says, but I'm, I'm verse 22, it says, and the scribes, and, and, and in verse 20, 20 and 21, we see the description of his family. They were calling him crazy. They thought he lost his mind. But they're not necessarily contentious. They're just doubters. They're full of doubt. They're not contentious with him, right? They're not trying to deny anything. They just, they're, they're confused. I mean, you think about it now. They saw Jesus in their house for 30 years. 
years. He didn't do any miracles. You know, I know like some of y'all might have read some places that when he was a little kid, he made some wood, you know, doves turn into real doves. Not true. Hello. Just, just, that's just a lie. You know, he did all the, listen, the first miracle Jesus did was at the wedding of Cana. Hello, somebody. That was the first miracle that he did. You know how I know that? The Bible tells me so. Hello. That's what the scriptures say. The scriptures make it crystal clear that the Bible does not record every single miracle Jesus did, but it records for us the first miracle. Hello. And so all, all that said, you know, we, we're, we're looking at the, his family. They, they didn't see him doing miracles. He was a normal guy, you know, growing up. And so, I mean, obviously when he was around 12 years old, he's at the temple. He knew he, he seemed to have these questions that these, you know, teachers were like, wow, this guy's got something special. But it wasn't anything beyond that. And then all of a sudden he steps out of the house at 30 years old and he goes and gets baptized. The dove comes down upon him and he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days. He starts praying. He comes out of the wilderness empowered by the Spirit of God. He starts preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all of a sudden these multitudes start following him. People are getting healed. And his family's like, what is going on? Is this guy crazy? That they, they didn't know what to make of it. But they're not the contentious ones. The contentious ones are the next ones that we see in verse 22. It says, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, now notice, remember we read earlier, right? We read earlier, it said in people, the multitudes came from Jerusalem in Duia and all of these different places. So these scribes were part of the crowd. And it says what? They said, he has Beelzebub. And in the original language, what it literally says is he is possessed by a demon. That's what it's saying. He is demon-possessed. That's what he's saying about Jesus. That's what they're saying. And he goes on to say this. He says the next thing. He says, they, they say, by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. And so what they were saying to him was they were like, listen, you know what, man? You have a, this guy has a demon. You guys are following him. And so these guys are depictive of what? They're depictive of the people that are contentious. Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to discredit Jesus because if they could discredit Jesus, then they would do what? They would dissuade the crowd and they would discourage the committed. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to get the crowd to be like, oh, you know what? We're not going to follow him. We're not going to come to the one that has the words of life. We're, we're going to reject him. You know what? We don't need to keep following because this guy has a demon. And so they, they began to say this about Jesus. And then they wanted to discourage those who are committed. It's the same thing. Can I tell you something? This is the same thing in our day. Are you here? You have, you, have you had any conversation with some contentious people? Hello. I mean, some, some folks that, 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 that just, I mean, they're against anything that has to do with God. You, you know, I mean, you've been on Facebook, right, and you mentioned something about God. I had a friend from Fort Lauderdale, and he was, you know, he, he prayed. Christian guy, you know, knew him growing up. Neither of us were Christian. We were growing up together in middle school. And, you know, he, so he puts on, on Facebook and says, you know, I thank God because, you know, he heard our prayer. You know, we prayed that we wouldn't get a direct hit and all this and that. And so he's thanking God. He's giving thanks to God for that. So one of our other mutual friends, and he comes and he's like, really? He said, so I guess God didn't hear the prayers of the people in the Keys or anywhere else. I'm like, the devil. I'm like, so anyway, so I, you know, I, 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 I didn't. <laughs> So, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into a big debate, right? I'm like, you know, the, 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 the underlying argument is that God doesn't hear anybody's prayers. And that was my friend's argument and in part, you know, the other friend, the contentious one. He's like, you know, well, God didn't hear anyone's prayers. He's like, God gave us science. And I'm like, really? I'm like, and science had this thing going left, right, back and forward circles. I mean, there's one, the, the, the best meme that I saw before the hurricane, it was like 20,000 20, 20, squiggly lines. We're like, okay, we're going to get wet. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean it, was, it was like, that's, that's all we knew, right? I mean, it was going to be harsh. It was going to be terrible. I mean, it was going to be bad. But, you know, science didn't save anyone in the sense of, you know, we, we, we didn't figure out a way to stop the hurricane. Are you here? 
And so this person is being contentious, and they, and they have this attitude. And so someone else, they told me that, that you know, someone shared a story with me, um, and they, they are a part of this church. I didn't tell them that I was going to share this story, but anyway, I love you. Um, so... <laughs> They send, they send me an email. I want to show you the right attitude to have, right? So they send me an email, and they're like, you know, I, you know, I was praying, and God really showed up, and, you know, we didn't lose power, and we didn't have any damage, and went through all this, and I was like, praise God. I'm like day three, no power. And so, so, so I reply back. I'm like, praise God that, he, you know, you didn't do that. I said, next time, pray for me, because obviously I wasn't covered enough. But, you know, <laughs> so, you know, the point is, right, you got one person being contentious, right? Like, one person wants to bash God and God doesn't hear prayer. And the other is like, man, look, the reality is, man, God is wiser than all of us. Why on earth did Irma come through? I have no idea. Why did Harvey go through Texas the way did? I have no idea. Why is Maria trying to show up? I have no clue. <laughs> Jose done left. He bailed out. Maria's taking her place. And so we need to be praying. I mean, like for real. Like, I mean, we need to... <laughs> Like the earth is going nuts right now. But the Bible says that, does it not? It says that the earth is groaning, right? That creation is groaning, awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. This is what Romans chapter 8 tells us. And so there is a groaning that's going on. And so all this natural disaster and stuff, this is us looking at what? The return of our Savior. And look, here's, 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 here's a beautiful thing that you can look in all of this. In all of this, you know, you know what I saw all over Facebook and I saw all over places? I saw the church being the church. You know what? I, I, you know, I, I, text, I text someone, I, you know, I text Tracy, you know, and listen, y'all need to invite Tracy and his family over. They still don't have power. Hello, somebody. Yeah, oh, y'all are hurting. Y'all feel, felt that. Um, be, but, but, but here's the thing. I text him, like, hey, Tracy, you want to come over? And he's like, nah, man, you know, we're good. We're going out. And he said, but, man, I just want to thank you, you know, for the church being the church and, you know, extending so much love and all of this kind of stuff. And so here's what I'm saying. In the midst of this stuff that goes on, you know what the beauty of it is? Is that the church has an opportunity to shine brightly for Jesus, to show our love, to show our concern, to show our care for others. You know, you have people that are out there that, you know, with chainsaws, you know, just excited to use chainsaws. I want to use a chainsaw, too. Um, by the way, I'm buying one, you know, for the next hurricane. It's going to be in a week. Um, so anyway, um, you know, I'm going to do that because I just want to use a chainsaw. I just want to have, but, but here's it. But I got to come over. That's it. I'm going out with Ricky next week. And, and so, so anyway, you know, ultimately, you know, the reality is, you know, it's, it's our opportunity to, to do what? To not be contentious, to not doubt God, to not doubt God's love, to just understand that we are living in these end days and these things are going to happen. But we need to do what? We need to maximize those moments for the glory of God. We, we, we have to commit ourselves not to be contentious. And listen, my time is running. I got like five minutes left. But here's, here, here's what I want you to understand. But I started, I only had five minutes. But here's the thing. It's because worship was just amazing. But, you know, all, all, all that said, you know, the, the, this story here, because how many of y'all have ever had this question about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Anybody raise your hand real quick. Anybody have this question? Because that's what Jesus talks about here. He all of a sudden has this question about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He brings us up. I want to show you how to deal with a contentious person, okay? This, and this is not my way. This is Jesus' way. Look what Jesus does. He says this. He calls them together. This is what prompted this whole parable that he says. He calls them to himself, and he said to them in the parable, he said, how can Satan cast out Satan, right? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he has an end. I want you guys to notice what Jesus was doing. He was taught, what he was, what he was doing was he was questioning the rationale behind what they were saying. 
What he was saying, he said, hold on a second. You're telling me that I have a demon, right? That's what you're saying. So you are acknowledging that there is another kingdom, that there is another power. You're, you're saying that I have that power. And he says, so let me just talk to you about some common sense here. First of all, a kingdom doesn't rise against itself. Because their reasoning was just ridiculous. Like if you, I mean, when you, listen, if you have conversation, okay, so kingdoms don't divide against themselves. They can't stand. There's an end to the kingdom, but you know what you did? There's no end to this kingdom because you just acknowledge that there's another kingdom. Hello. That's what he did. So the first thing you do when you're dealing with a contentious person, you don't try to make a point. You try to make a difference. But you know how you do that? Ask them some questions. Hello. Learn to ask good questions. Don't jump on the defensive. Learn to ask good questions. Why do you believe that? Let's kind of walk through what you believe for a moment. No, not, not being sarcastic, but being real. Like, let's walk through what you believe. Let's talk about why you believe it. Oh, you believe in evolution? Why? I, I want you to know, I, hear me when I say this. I'm going and, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say it like this because I, I don't have like a real statistic for this. I'm just going to throw this out there. But I would say at least 70 to 80% of people that believe like in things like evolution and stuff like that, they're really not studied on that. They're, they're, they're really not deep into that. They really don't have a solid foundation of it. I'm just, you know, it could be more, it could be a little less, but I'm saying around that number. So what am I telling you? Most of the time, you're not going to get yourself into a conversation that you can't handle. You know why? Because you're going to ask them a question they don't have an answer to. Well, why, why do you believe this? Well, I believe, you know, and, and you can start walking down, you know, this and really, and, and, and just ask good questions. Question their rationale. Question their reasoning by what they're trying to say because that's what Jesus does. And then the next thing he does this in verse 27 is he says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house. And so what's the second thing he does? The first thing he does, he questions their reasoning. The second thing after he questions their reasoning, he lets them know, listen, if you're seeing this because your reasoning makes no sense, you know what you understand? Someone stronger than the strong man has come. Someone stronger than the strong man has come. The strong man that has had these people bound, the one who's stronger than him is here right now because your reasoning makes no sense. And so now you've got to deal with one reality, and it is what? It is that we are, you're dealing with the one who is greater than all of those strongholds, the one that can bring deliverance to those lives. And then he goes on and he says what? So he, he questions their reasoning. He lets them know that you're really dealing with this power. And then he tells them the word. I mean, this is like the scariest part for me when I think about this and these words here. He says, assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter but he who blasphemes against the holy spirit has no, never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit so what did they do what they did was they accredited satan with god's work they accredited Satan with God's word. That's what they did. That's what this blasphemy is. So in a technical sense, you know, it's, it's, it's really difficult to be able to do exactly what they did because we're not these scribes. We're not these guys here. But can I tell you something? We need to be real careful about the things that we start saying. That's the devil. Hello. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, hands down, there are some things that I see in the church, like, you know, some things that go on, some manifestations that are questionable. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. Some things are questionable. And I'm like, I don't know if that's God. I'm not 100% sure if that's God. But here's what I do. I look at the fruit of the people. I look at the passion or what I can see as their passion, their pursuit for God. And I look at that. And if I see fruit in their lives, I see a passion for God's word, I see reverence for God, then I'm going to have to say, hold on a second. I can't be calling that the devil. Now, there are other things. Hello, somebody. That I can be like, clearly, that's the devil. That's not God. 
I mean, clearly, there's no fruit, there's no passion, there's no reverence for God. Those things, I can, I can clearly say that that's not him. But here's what I want you to understand about blasphemy. You should write these down if you're taking notes. The only way that you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit or blaspheme God is you have to be intentional, you have to be irreverent, and you have to be irreconcilable. You have to be intentional, you have to be irreverent, and you have to be irreconcilable. That's, this is, I mean, this is serious because that's what these scribes were. They were intentional. They knew the scriptures. They knew what the Bible prophesied. They knew Jesus had fulfilled all of these prophecies and was fulfilling them. They knew that he was what was supposed to be in the Messiah, and they were intentionally disregarding that. And not only that, but they were, they were 100% irreverent. They had no reverence for Jesus. Oh, that's, that's a demon. He's got a demon. Don't follow him is what they were saying. And then they were irreconcilable. They were the ones who crucified Jesus. They were the ones who took him to the cross. And so that's the way. That, listen, so don't fear blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you're not those things and you're not going to do that. And if you even care about that, trust me, you're not doing it. And so we need to recognize this, though. I mean, there is a reality that we need to humble ourselves. And so, like I said, we can't be contentious. Amen. Because remember, you're looking at yourself. Are you contentious? Are you just part of the crowd? You know, we can't be contentious. We have to have, how many of y'all have questions sometimes? Come on, raise your hand if you have questions sometimes. I mean, I, I mean, seriously, I mean, just, I, you know, anything. This hurricane caused a lot of questions, a lot of real questions in people's hearts. You know, why his house? Why not my house? And I'm not talking about the dumb questions. I'm just talking about, like, you know, real people of faith, you know, the joking that I did with, you know, with, with, with my sister. And I was like, man, pray for me as hard as you prayed for yourself next time, you know, because my prayers obviously weren't strong enough. But, you know, it's a joke. But you know what? There's a reality. Why? You know, but don't be contentious about it. Just be real about it. Ask questions, get answers. And when you get an answer that, I mean, it's a biblical answer. When you get an answer, accept the answer. Don't continue to try to argue and debate. Don't, don't, don't try to go through that. And then you need to make sure that you're not just seeking real answers, but that you are teachable. Hello. You've got to be teachable. You've got to be open to correction. You've got to be open. Listen, you can't be a know-it-all. Hello, somebody. All right. We, you know, some of us, you know, we never pass the phase of knowing it all. Hello. Some of us, we never, we, never, we never pass that. Like, we are still that person. Hello. We know everything. We have an answer for everything, and we don't want to hear an answer from anyone else. Hello. And so we've got to come to that place that we are humble and teachable so we can hear. Third thing that I have to say, and again, I'm like five minutes over time already. I'm actually like ten minutes over time, but I love you guys. We missed last week together. So here's the thing. I'm making up. I'm, I'm making up over time. And so say this with me. The committed, the committed. really know Jesus, really Jesus and go hard for him. The committed really know Jesus and they go hard for him. I'm not going to read those scriptures again, but verses 13 through 19, that is the list of the disciples, the 12 that Jesus calls. Verse 14 is very important for us because verse 14 says what? He called the disciples to be with him so he could send them out. You see the two things that are there. He called the disciples to be with him so they would know him, so they would experience him, so they could be empowered by him, not so they could just say, hey, I know Jesus, but also so he could send them out to bring healing and to bring deliverance. Are you here? It's very important that we realize that. But I want you to notice something else that's really important there in verse 19. It talks about this guy named Judas Iscariot. Notice what it says about him. He was one of the 12 that was called, and guess what he did? He, he remained part of the crowd. Hello. He denied who Jesus was. He, he, he totally rejected Jesus in the sense, in, in, every, in every possible way. I mean, that, that, that's, that's insane if you think about it. None of us in here is even near Jesus, okay? And what I mean by that, like we're not on the level that Jesus was in holiness, in wisdom, or anything like that. And listen, this guy walked with him for three years, and he never truly repented. He never truly turned away from his sin to the point that he did what? That he was the one that betrays Christ. 
And so for us, we need to recognize the crowd and the contention. Guess where they, guess where they, guess where they dwell? Right here. They dwell right here in our hearts. And if we don't recognize that, you know what happens? We don't keep them in check. We don't repent when, that, when, when the part of us that just wants to sit down and not do anything tries to rise up. Hello. When that part of us that, that just wants to argue everything tries to rise up, we don't repent of that if we don't recognize that that's here. But notice that that's there. But the two things that mark someone who is truly committed is, number one, a powerful commission. They've been commissioned with power. And then the other thing is a devotion to the will of God. The last verse is there in verses 31 through 35 when Jesus' family comes to him. And again, I won't read it for time's sake. But when his family comes to him and they're going to try to take him away, he sits in the room and they say, your mother and your brothers are there to get you. And he says, he looks around and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks around and he looks at everybody in the room and he says, these are my mother and my brothers, those who do the will of God. You see, what we have to realize is that we have been born again, not just to Jesus, but we've been born again into a family. We now have brothers and sisters that don't have the same last name, but we all have the same blood of Christ that covers us. We have the same blood that brings us together. We have the same divine nature that dwells in us. And now because I put my faith in Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister, we are family. Hello. And you know what makes us able to walk as family? When we are committed to obeying the will of God. See, because the culture needs to be impacted. But can I tell you something? It's not going to be impacted with people who don't care about God's will. It's not going to be impacted by people who are not obeying God. Because here's the thing that we have to realize is that God's power is right there when we walk in obedience. When we decide that we're going to walk in obedience, when we decide that we are going to obey the will of God, we will see the power of God manifested in us. Because God empowered us to make an impact in the culture. And so here is my closing question for you. Are you part of the crowd? Are you one of the contentious? Or are you a committed disciple of Jesus? Are you part of the crowd? If you're part of the crowd, God calls you out of the crowd today. If you're part of the crowd, he calls you to repent today. He calls you to turn to him today. Put your faith in him. Trust him and commit to living a life in obedience to him. Be in a relationship with him. That's what he's calling you to do. That's why Jesus died, to bring you out of the crowd. Are you one that's contentious? See, one thing I didn't say about contentious folk is that contentious people usually have a genuine justification to their contention. When you talk to someone who's contentious, most of the time, when you start to just pry a little bit in there, you start to ask, you start to dig a little bit, and you start to ask them, so what happened to you? And what usually happens is they had something that marked their lives. You know, you talk, they, you, you talk to them, and, and, and all of a sudden, they tell you about a really bad church experience. They tell you about an uncle who was a pastor or a cousin who was this or something that occurred. You know, I mean, there's some, can I just tell you something? There are some ugly stories that people have. Ugly stories. They're not fake stories. They're real stories. People who were really hurt. But can I tell you something? Jesus died to heal us of all of that hurt. We're, listen, we're all falling short of the glory of God. That's what the gospel teaches us. It teaches us that we all fall short. I mean, that's what Romans chapter 3.23 says, is it not? That we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, that's, that's crystal clear scripture. And so even in the church, say it with me, say even in the church. There's some ugly stuff. There's, yeah, keep talking, keep, keep talking. <laughs> Y'all were feeling that like that's some ugly stuff, amen. Like glory to God. We need to keep hurricanes around us because it brings out all the pretty in us. Amen. I'm just kidding. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. Let's just, let's just. 
<laughs> but, but there is some ugly stuff, even in the church. And so these people are hurting, but can I tell you something? If you're contentious, if you got a real gripe with the church, you got a real gripe with God, listen, that's why Jesus died, to heal you of that hurt. And if, and if you are a truly committed disciple of Jesus, amen and praise God. But let me ask you a question. Who are you discipling? Who are you helping grow in their faith? Who are you helping to come to that next level in their walk with Christ? Because that's what real disciples do. Real disciples are about making disciples, not just about saying, yo, I'm a disciple. I'm committed to Jesus. I don't just come to church. I do other stuff. Wait a second. Wait a second. Time out. Because we get this church thing all messed up. We think that coming to church and being really committed is just coming to church more than once a week or something like that. Like that, like that makes us, you know, the, the, the disciple that Jesus calls us to be. Church, that's not true. So I'll stand up and let's pray together. We are called, we are called to make disciples. And so the question is, which one are you? Are you part of the crowd? Do you need to come out of the crowd and become committed? Are you contentious? Do you need to allow God to deal with your contentions in your heart? Or are you committed disciple? Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And we humble, humble ourselves before you today. And God, we do ask you to search our hearts right now. Reveal to us what you see in us. Father, if we're part of the crowd in any area of our life, Lord, liberate us. Give us repentant hearts. For anyone in here that's part of the crowd, Lord God, let them come to faith in you today. Father, for those in this place that may be contentious, that may be hurting, that may have experienced something that is hindering them from just walking in full faith and trust in you, turn them today that they may feel your love, that they may know your embrace, and that you may bring healing to them. And for those that are committed disciples in this place, may we be disciple makers for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' great name, amen. Everyone said? Amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.